agree together tonight lord i thank you for your word i thank you for the holy spirit moving upon every one of us that are going to be watching or listening to this i thank you lord by the spirit just breathing upon us just moving upon us giving us good soil that we the bible says jesus said i send the holy spirit to be your teacher the holy spirit even now help us get locked in and focused to give give this sermon our best ear our full attention we're not going to be distracted eyes and ears of the spirit good soil of hearts and minds and lives living seeds sown out in a good soil watered by the holy spirit take root grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains we thank you for it we believe it we expect it the winds of your spirit are going to carry this where it needs to go and accomplish what it's supposed to and we stand on the promise your word will not return void but accomplish that which you sent it forth to do now we take authority the birds of the air try to steal the seed so lord if there's anything that would try to hinder this word in any way from getting where it's supposed to or accomplishing what's supposed to any spiritual warfare as a church, we take authority in the name of Jesus. We bind it now. You will back off right now in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Lord, for your angels just clearing all that out. And this will go forth, and everything will be accomplished in it through it that you will to be done. We thank you for it. We believe together in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we're looking at the rise of Satanism in America, part two, a culture shift. Now, I was thinking about this. There's a scripture... It talks about in the last days, it says that the Antichrist <coughs> will create what's called an image of the beast. The beast is just the Antichrist, but he's going to have an idol, an image. And that thing is going to be set up eventually in the temple in Jerusalem, and he's going to declare himself God and make everybody worship him and his idol, his image. I wonder what that image is going to be. Uh, let me just give you something to think about. It may not be. I really don't know. But I wonder, what if it's this this goat here of Mindy's called Baphomet? What if that's going to be the image? You ever thought about that? And that's, of course, what the satanic temple is, you know, taking around and trying to put in different places and get people to worship, pray to, or whatever they're trying to do. So, anyway, I'm going to deal tonight with a culture shift and let's look at Judges chapter 2 because this is what concerns me the most in America. It says when Joshua had dismissed the people. Do you remember Moses died? Joshua took Israel through the, uh, the Jordan into the land of Canaan. And Joshua fulfilled what God called him to do. I mean, he leveled cities. He conquered the land. He got it up to a certain point. And it says this, verse 6, let me start again. When Joshua dismissed the people, the sons of Israel went each one to his inheritance to take possession of the land. When the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, who had seen all the great work of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Then Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the territory of his inheritance and in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. Now here's the concerning part. Another generation rose up after them who did not know the Lord. Nor even the work which he had done for Israel. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And so they abandoned the Lord, 
the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed other gods from the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and so they provoked the Lord to anger. So my concern is, is that we're seeing a generation come up, and what happened was things were a certain way, but there came in a seeker-sensitive movement and I'm not totally against the idea of being seeker sensitive. I'm not saying that. But in that, people began to water down sermons and began to remove things out of church services that they thought might possibly offend somebody. And it started getting to a point of just focus on man pleasing instead of God pleasing. And it became shallow and empty, just a shell of what it was. There was no authority and power. And when that happened, there was this gap there from that and there's a generation that has come up unfortunately that doesn't really know a lot of things that we've known and seen those of us that's been in church and in pentecost and the power of god for many years i remember i, I saw the change and i heard the warnings even back in the 90s where preachers were saying you know, there's Pentecostal churches where people are not even speaking in tongues anymore. What's going on? Let's get back to the foundations of things. And I heard that back in the 90s. Well, that was the warning. And apparently it wasn't heeded. And now things have kind of gotten a certain way. And I think that what's considered revival in some places is good. Now, listen, what's going on in Asbury and all that, I really believe that is a move of God. I do. I, I feel that's the Lord. But there's a lot of times I think that just good services, there may be a couple people healed, things happen. It's kind of like, oh, this is revival. And I've been around some things that are good. It's good services, good worship. I mean, I enjoyed it. But when you've been in, in real revival, like in the 90s, and you were in the thick of it and in the depth of it, and you really knew real revival, when people start saying, oh, this is revival, you, there's, you know that it's not really. It was a good service. You understand and so don't, let's not cheapen things let's press in for a real move of God I mean a sovereign move the type of move of God that that we read about in historic revivals let's really press in for that and I believe God is beginning something I hope and pray that what's beginning at Asbury is just the beginning I, I hope that it continues till the Lord comes I, I hope that this is the beginning of the awakening it sure started the right way with deep repentance that, that's what is the foundation of major revival. But we also need God to begin to breathe on us for healings and miracles and, and setting people free and getting back to some things that have been lost, like Pentecost, the power of God, the gifts, things like that. And of course, but ultimately, revival is always going to be about souls and about repentance. So the backsliders are getting right, the lost are getting saved, okay? That's the main focus. So let me give you a couple things tonight that I cannot dwell on it too long. But I'm concerned about the current generation that maybe haven't been taught certain things. They've lost some things. I don't say that lightly. I feel like it really has been lost. Kenneth Hagin said this, and I'm not quoting exactly what he said. I'm paraphrasing it, but he said that there's a move of the Spirit that if we don't carefully and deliberately pass it to the next generation, it might be lost. And he said that. It was, it, it was recorded him saying that. Again, I'm paraphrasing it, but he said that very clearly. 
I believe that he warned us, and I believe that unfortunately it happened. Did y'all hear me? Unfortunately, it happened. Now, let me give you a couple things tonight. Number one, the Bible says in Matthew 13, 39, the end of the age is the harvest. Have you ever considered that everything that's sown will take root and grow, and eventually it will come to maturity? It takes time, but eventually things will really come to full maturity. All right. Have you ever considered that everything that's been sown into the human race from the fall of man till now, both good and evil, will come to full maturity right before Jesus comes? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever considered the parables of Jesus where he's obviously speaking of, of a time to come and he says that God will send his angels and he will separate the wheat and the tares. But first, he gathered the tares. And he put them into barns where they would be burned. There was a judgment. Isn't that interesting? There was some kind of a separating. But he also talked about it being like things coming to maturity because you don't know what a tare and a wheat is <clears throat> until it comes to maturity because the wheat actually has grain. Well, my point is this. From the fall of Adam till now, it's been around 6,000 years. From Adam to Abraham, 2,000. From Abraham to Christ, 2,000. From Christ till now, 2,000. 6,000 years from the fall of Adam till now, approximately. When Jesus comes, which is soon, there's going to be a 1,000-year reign. That'll be the 7,000th, and it's a Sabbath, rest. But right before he comes, everything that's been sown in the human race is going to come up to maturity, both good and evil. So the evil will ripen and come to its fullness with the rise of the Antichrist. And all of the, the evil that's in humanity will fully come forth, and it's going to bring the wrath of God on the earth. So there's going to be some kind of a harvest in the end of the age that is a, a good and bad harvest. There's going to be a separation. There's going to be a, a harvest under judgment. And even like a satanic harvest, because you read in Revelation where it's like a grim reaper that has a sickle that goes across, and it, it's like a, um, like a death. You know what I'm saying? It's like you picture, if you will, um, in, was it Revelation where it talks about the four horsemen of the apocalypse? And what does it say in there? It says that one of the writers was death, and then after him, Hades. So it's like some kind of a sickle, if you will, going across that's going to bring a lot of death. And then hell, so it's like an evil harvest. But you also read about a good harvest in Revelation where the angel of the Lord stood and had a sickle and was bringing in the good harvest. So in these last days, there's going to be some type of a bringing to maturity, both good and evil, and it's going to be a major harvest. Also, I want to talk about briefly here, ancient roots. I don't have time to get into this because it would take too long. But before the flood, there was an ancient civilization we don't know a lot about, but it's, it was um, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. So before the flood, apparently the Bible says this, for those that's never read this, there were fallen angels that took wives and began to procreate. But that went on for many, many years. People don't realize that that was going on for almost like a, over a thousand years, basically, because it happened in the days of Jared. 
and from that time till the flood was over a thousand years. That's a long time. And so you have the human race back then became so infested with that demonic fallen angel DNA. And I don't want to get into this because it's, it's really some dark, evil stuff. But it, by the time it got to Noah's generation, the Bible says about Noah, he was blameless in his generation. Uh, if you read the Hebrew, go look this up for yourself. It implies that his, his blood, his DNA was pure. It was not affected by the Nephilim. It's possible that by the time it got to Noah, that Noah and his family might have been some of the only ones that were not that way, that were infested in one way or another. And God didn't consider that world at that time to be something he was going to redeem. It was something he was just going to wipe out with a flood. So God came in and flooded the earth. But here's what I'm getting to. When you're looking at after the flood and the earth started repopulating under Noah's sons, there rose up a one world leader. His name was Nimrod. And he built a tower of Babel and gathered everybody together to build this tower. Now, God had told Adam and Eve and the human race, you know, fill the earth and multiply, but they were doing the opposite. They were gathering together in one place but they were building this tower. It would be like a ziggurat. It was going to go way up. And so you wonder what all was in this. Some have said, well, they were building some type of a structure to, to go up high and try to, in some vain attempt, to kind of dethrone God or something to that effect. Or others have said, and I think there's some truth to this, that they were trying to build up something that would go high enough where even if God flooded the earth, they would be above the waters, you see. Maybe there was some truth to that. But here's something else to study out for yourself. And I'm going somewhere with this. I wonder, with Nimrod and them, I wonder if they weren't trying to recreate what happened before the flood. Because if you, it's not, all this is not in the Bible, but you can read it in other sources, that apparently those fallen angels came on a mountain and then begin to take wives into themselves. I wonder if he wasn't trying to build something and recreate that again. Because it says about Nimrod that he became a mighty hunter. So you have to wonder what happened to him that made him become something maybe he wasn't before. What was he doing? Because before the flood, that world, it's hard for me to imagine this, and, and I'm sure you too, that a world would be so full of these Nephilim beings and, and giants and, and the evil satanic power that many of them would have had and the, the, the sexual immorality that would have been rampant and the violence. It's hard for us to imagine. God just flooded it and wiped it all out, purged the earth of that evil DNA. Now there's Nimrod. What's he trying to do? Is he trying to bring it back again? Is he trying to recreate what was before it's possible but nonetheless here's something about Nimrod he was the ruler over ancient Babylon and he was the first one world ruler he's a picture and type of the Antichrist have you ever thought about that so in the last days the Bible calls the end times uh, the 
the civilization, if you will, that unites under the Antichrist, the Bible calls it Babylon. And that there's going to be this one world ruler, the Antichrist, just like a Nimrod, who's going to rule over a group of people as the world kind of unites under him. And the Bible calls that Babylon. So it's interesting. And it says, as it, <clears throat> Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, it would be at the coming of the Son of Man. Did everybody hear that? So I'm just giving you some things to think about. But there's something that was in ancient times that's going to be again and the bible said about nimrod and what he was doing at the tower god looked down and said if they continue on this course united like that whatever they're trying to do whatever that was they were attempting he said they're going to be able to do it and so he came down and he scattered them and confused their language to bring division among them and so they couldn't do what they intended to do but isn't it interesting that all over the world you can look this up because it's just something i find interesting and then i'm going to move off of this but all over the world there's stories ancient stories that go back to where there was some type of a flood look it up research it all over the world there's also mythology and in that mythology, they'll have gods in the heavens that came down and procreated with women on the earth. Look into this. It's interesting. It's in Greek mythology. And it's weird because it's like these ancient stories and this ancient mythology seems to allude to this world that was there at one time that God judged. And then he, at the Tower of Babel, maybe, in my opinion, Nimrod was trying to do this again trying to recreate this world all over again and maybe he had done some kind of a ritualistic thing to empower him where he became kind of a mighty one on the earth of some kind but God saw that and he said I'm not going to let this happen again and he came down stepped down and scattered them my point is in this what will it look like one day as the rise of the antichrist comes and the world begins to unite under him I think there's some things that are coming that are going to be very concerning because Jesus said it would be like it was in the days of Noah and it would be like it was in the days of Lot. So go back and read how it was in the days of Noah and Lot because those days are going to be coming in the near future. I'm just trying to give you some things to think about. You can do your own research, draw your own conclusions, but this is something I felt I need to say. Now with that, it's hard for me to believe that with the fallen angels coming and giving their knowledge to humanity and procreating into the human race, what would have been the one world religion of that time? Think about this for a moment. Over hundreds, over a thousand years, what would have become the one world religion of that time? In my opinion, and I could be wrong, and you can disagree, and that's okay. I think it's what we know today as the occult. That's my opinion. And to a large degree, Satan worship. Forms of witchcraft. Okay, that's just my opinion. And I think that with those fallen angels coming down and giving their knowledge to man and, and procreating, like I think that the world was full of it. I think that was the 
kind of the one world religion, if you will, of that time. And God came down and destroyed it. But I think, I think that's what Nimrod was trying to bring back again. And God scattered it. So what are we looking at when the Antichrist comes to power? I believe you're going to see a major rise of Satanism, witchcraft, and the occult. And it will even probably marry itself into pre-existing religions. For example, Islam. All of a sudden, new practices or new things kind of merge into it, into their practice, whatever. I think you get the idea. But I think that this is going to become more pronounced. And something began in America back in the 60s where, and those that are old enough to remember this, it's a little bit before my time, but I have researched it, but in the 60s, something happened. And you could see that Satan began to bring into our culture, began to infest our culture with a rise of things that had to do with the occult. And it was during a time they called it, some of you are quite young and you've heard the phrase hippie or whatever, but in that culture, it was people that were kind of going against the norm and they, they were rebelling against culture. They were rebelling against their parents and rebelling against society. So a spirit of rebellion. But in that, the occult, you know, Derek Prince always said something that stuck with me. He said, the spirit of rebellion and the spirit of witchcraft are like, Two evil twin sisters. <laughs> he said, where you find one, the other's lurking nearby. It's true. Think of, remember that, and then every time you see one, you'll see the other nearby. It's true. And so as society, the younger generation, began to get in so much rebellion, well, guess what comes in? In comes witchcraft, the occult. And so there, there became this infesting of the young people of that time with various occult practices. I mean, they were looking into Eastern mysticism and yoga, and they were looking into transcendental meditation, and they were getting fascinated with things like seances and things that my wife knew a lot of people in, in that area, and her family knew people, that this was becoming uh, something that people thought was a fashionable thing or something to get into. And they began to dabble in these different types of occult practices, but it really came in strong in the 60s. And then also, not only with witchcraft and the occult and all that, but, but harder forms of it in the way of Satanism, which the Church of Satan was founded in 1966. And it wasn't the only group. It was just the one that was known so much. And then you had also... so. What are the three things my wife and I minister to a lot of people? These are some of the main things that open the doors for demons in people's lives. Witchcraft, the occult, Satanism, that realm is a big one. Here's the second one, drugs. People started dabbling in all types of substance abuse and mind-altering drugs. They wanted to get into a state of being high, you know. And so there was all of that going on. And it seemed to really be pervasive in the culture of like the rock music and all of that at that time too. It seemed to almost glamorize this. Then you went into not only the occult and drug use, but you also had another big door for the demonic sexual immorality. So all of a sudden, 
society in America was the type that believed in marriage, honored marriage, and believed things should be more like a Judeo-Christian biblical value. Now in the 60s came a tr like a movement against that of just sex outside of marriage and sleeping around. And the Bible is very clear that sexually immoral will not go to heaven. I can show you multiple scriptures about that. So that brought in sexual immorality. It became normal in our culture, including even pornography started emerging and getting more mainstream at that time. So Satan was moving to infest America through rebellion with things that opened people up to spiritual darkness in the 60s. And then it started continuing in the 70s. And when I was uh, young and in the 80s, growing up in that time, it was like it really came strong again. It was like another wave of that swept through. And so America began to move away from our Judeo-Christian heritage. So we're at a time where we need major revival. And I believe God's going to do that. Now, with all of that said, it started in the 60s. It's been gradually building. I want you to think about this. Those of you that are older than me, could you even fathom in your mind back in the 60s, even in the 70s, could you even fathom in your mind that on main, mainstream television would air something like what took place at the Grammys? They would have never even allowed it. I'm just telling you, the stations, would have, they would have shut it off. All right. Listen to what's been going on, even at the Grammys. So this last Grammys that we have, CBS tweeted, whoever it was that's the guy or the lady that they hire that does their tweets, the tweeter. The tweeter of CBS decided to tweet this is what they tweeted. Before that guy, Stan Smith, came up and sang his weird song, they tweeted, we're ready to worship. And this actually happened. So <laughs> who says something like that? I mean, you know what the performance was. So go back, if you're not familiar with what the performance was, who would write into that, say, Hey, we're ready to worship. Well, really, we'll worship what and who exactly? You're certainly not worshiping God. But it was a very, very satanic Grammys. It was a man named Stan Smith, it was, and then he sang, uh, which I'll get more into it, but there was all kinds of satanic imagery as his song entitled Unholy was performed. So why do they got to have it? Why do they got to dress up like devils with devil horns and all this dark satanic stuff? Why, does, why do they have to keep doing this? Isn't it interesting also that the performance, a lot of people took note of this. I saw a lot of people, after this performance at the Grammys, it was immediately followed by a commercial by Pfizer. And Pfizer has angered millions of Americans who feel this isn't the first time at the Grammys that they have been instrumental in thrusting something upon the American people without any discretion, or at least had a hand in it. The, the man that sang with Stan Smith is a transgender, so Petrus 
looks just like a woman, but it's a transgender. So they sing this song. Also, here's some, I'm just putting out some information. There was a study in the UK which stated that young people are viewing Satanism now, not just witchcraft, Satanism. That young people are viewing Satan worship as a new trendy religion that many are turning to and they're viewing Christianity as an old archaic set of beliefs. Who would have thought the day would come when in the UK, young people would think Satanism was kind of a trendy, cool religion? In the Grammys, let's go back just briefly. In the Grammys in 2012, Nicki Minaj performed a dark satanic ritual in her song with a mock exorcism. It was almost like saying what's, what is here is too powerful to be driven out in the song. And then in the Grammys in 2014, some of you might remember this, Katy Perry performed that dark horse, which was described by many that watched it as a witchcraft ritual. Just think about what I'm saying. Why do they have to put this imagery in there? Why can't they just sing a song? Also in the Grammys of 2015, Madonna performed her song, Living for Love, with all kinds of satanic regalia and mock Christian references like a choir singing in the background. Then after that, it's immediately followed by ACDC singing their song, Highway to Hell, while most people in the crowd decided to put on devil horns and throw up the devil sign singing, I'm on a highway to hell. <laughs> so this has infested a lot of the entertainment industry. When I was a kid in the 80s, it was really pervasive more in the heavy metal. But it's, it's now with people like Jay-Z and Beyonce and Rihanna and others, they're bringing this imagery and lyrics into their music which is more pop and rap so it's something that's very pervasive and there's been i could get into more but i think you get the idea so something started in the 60s that has been gradually building over time to the point now to where it's becoming kind of a trendy thing among our youth and it's not just in the realm of dabbling in some occult thing it's more of like hardcore Satan worship type of stuff. So as parents, you need to educate your children and take the mystery and the allure out of it. So, for example, the word occult means like hidden. And the reason why the occult has kind of an allure to it is because Satan puts it out there in this way. He puts it out there to where people think that they're going to get some type, if they start messing with it, that they're going to get some type of esoteric type of knowledge that other people just don't have. And they're going to obtain some type of power that they did not have before. And so that's why people begin to get into this. So my point is this. If parents will teach their children and take the allure out of it, take away the mystery out of it. I know whenever Brianna was growing up, she'll tell you, 
instead of her learning about it from the wrong source, I always told her, look, this is what this stuff means. This is what's going on. This is what the Bible says about it. This, you're opening yourself up to darkness. This is what this stuff is, remember? And I took all of the mystery out of it and all the allure out of it that she knew exactly what it was, what it was about, and she heard it from me. And because of that, she never had any interest in trying to mess around with it or try to figure out what it was. It took away any curiosity, didn't it? And so I'm just telling parents, you need to be the one to teach your kids because if you don't teach them, other people will. And it's going to be from the wrong source, I guarantee you. You can't keep them from everything, but teach them what to avoid. Okay? And if you'll do it, if you'll begin to teach them, this is what this stuff is, and teach them to avoid it, when they get older, they're going to know. They're going to have that information. Then they can teach their children. The reason why I'm saying that is because this is not going away. It's going to be getting worse in the last days. Now, if the church will see a major revival, a lot of things can be suppressed for a time. But that's only going to be for a time. Eventually, by the time the Antichrist comes to power, this stuff's going to be pervasive. In fact, I read last week, and you'll remember, the Bible says in Revelation 13, eventually, the whole world is going to worship the dragon before Jesus comes, okay? So that's just where it's going, but you protect your kids. All right, so I'm going to give you something before we close out. This is a, I know you know this, and I emphasized it last week a lot, but this battle is spiritual. You're not going to be able to conquer these things by just natural means. You're going to have to overcome them and conquer them through spiritual weapons of war. So let me show you our weapons of war, at least in part here in Matthew 18, 15. This is a really interesting and powerful scripture. And I want, out of all the things I've said tonight, River of Life, I want you to really get this. Because this is one of those scriptures, if you really get what it's saying, It'll really change your life. So Matthew chapter 18, Jesus Christ himself taught us this. He says now, he's talking about kind of in a church setting of believers as a group. He says, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. So if he sins against you or whatever, go to him in private and try to talk to him in private. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother over. But this, in other words... This is what we're not supposed to do. We're not supposed to go gossiping about it. And we're not supposed to get in unforgiveness over it. He says, go to the person and talk to him about it. So that right there alone is going to solve a lot of problems. Amen? So this is a church setting. So if somebody's in sin, you talk to him in private and try to deal with it there. All right. Then he says in verse 16, but if he, if he doesn't listen to you, then take two or three with you that on the testimony of two or three witnesses, every matter can be confirmed. This is kind of established under Moses that you always had two or three witnesses. But that's important because now this person is not listening. So now if you take a few others with you, maybe you can win them over. And if you can't win them over, at least you have witnesses that are going to document everything that was said. Okay, so look this way. Don't let things distract you. So first off, you go to them in private. And then if you can't win them over, you take two or three witnesses with you so that every matter can be established. Somebody says, well, they said this, or they did this. You got witnesses that are saying that's not what happened. 
okay? All right. Then verse 17, and if he refuses to listen even to them, then tell it to the church. So there's a time to bring things up publicly and deal with it publicly. You always hate to do that, and I've had to do that before, but whenever you're dealing with sin in the camp in the church and you go to somebody and you try to talk to them and they're not going to listen. And then you take people with you and you try to talk to them and they're still not going to repent. They're going to keep doing the same thing. Then eventually you've got to bring it up publicly and deal with it, okay? If they're not going to leave, they're going to stay there and keep causing problems. And some people, I've been shot. There's people that come to church for all kinds of wrong reasons. There's even people that's come to church just to get somebody... Uh, you know sexually in bed with them or something you got to run those people off they're not saved they're a wolf and they're in the wrong place amen this isn't a bar this is a church so anyway and jesus said if the if you take it before the church and you have to deal with it publicly he says truly i say to you now this is interesting then jesus seems to shift gears here but it goes together listen to this so you're dealing with sin in the camp. And then he says, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, loose on earth, loose in heaven. He brings into this spiritual warfare. He's saying that the people in the church that are getting in sin and the different types of division that's trying to come, the, the strife, the problems, he says you need to rise up and take authority over this. You need to bind the enemy. Is everybody seeing this? And then he goes on further and says this, and again I say to you, if two of you will agree on earth about anything you ask, it'll be done to you, done for you. So he's saying then you need to commit it to prayer. Because Satan is trying to cause problems in the church worlds. The devil isn't going down to the local bars and different places and trying to cause all kinds of problems. Where is he trying to cause problems is the church to neutralize our effectiveness because we're the ones that are the threat to him. And so he's trying to bring in church problems. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to tell you how you can overcome these church problems. You better take authority and bind the spirit that's behind it. You better come together and start praying because it'll push darkness out. And he says, I'll give you some advice. Go to the person in private. If they don't listen, take witnesses. If they don't listen, take it before the church. But eventually, it says that if they refuse to even listen to the church, that you, tr you kick them out and treat them like you would a tax collector, which they must not like tax Well, you know, do we like tax collectors today? <laughs> but anyway, again, I say to you, if two agree on earth about anything. So I did a study on these last two verses that really impacted me, and you've heard me talk about it. We need prayer back in the church. But watch this. If two of you agree on earth about anything that they ask, the word agree there is the word, I put it in here, in Greek, symphonio, which means like to harmonize. So whenever we're up here and, you know, the piano's going, the guitar, the singing, there's a harmony and it's flowing together, and it's creating music. If somebody was playing in the key of F, a different tune, the guitar is in the key of E flat, and the drums are off beat, the, the singer's out of tune, 
God help us. Actually, I think I've been in places where that's happened. But, you know, it's horrible, right? <laughs> it, it's just discordant. But what it's saying here, it implies, this is interesting to me, it's implying in the Greek that you would be mixing some type of worship and prayer and that there would be sounds that would harmonize. That's what it's saying here. Did everybody catch that? There would be sounds. Maybe somebody's deep in travail and there's a groan, a sound like Romans chapter 8 or somebody else's is in deep praying in tongues and another person's in worship, but there's, it's spirit led. So it's like it's in some type of a harmony that goes up before the Lord, like in Revelation. You know, Revelation where it says the golden bowls were brought before the throne and they were the, it had incense in it and it says it was the prayers of the saints. Did you know there's certain that the incense of the Old Testament was four different ingredients that were ground up and put together and it represents what some of you guys should know this actually praise worship prayer intercession so there's there's this you grind up that powder together and bring it together and then when you burn it the incense what goes straight up there are certain types of prayer that people that come together and they know how to get in the spirit and they know how to really worship and pray together in the spirit. They're, they're in one accord. They're in harmony together. The different sounds, the Holy Spirit is playing through them, if you will, like an instrument. These different sounds harmonize and they go right up like an incense before the Lord. And the Lord is saying those type of prayers, whatever you ask, it will be done. You got to dig a little deeper here. And then it goes on to say in verse 20, where two or three have gathered together in my name, I'm in their midst. But you have to understand, people misuse this all the time. And they think that, well, we can just go to the Starbucks and we're together in the Lord's name. So Jesus is in our midst. There's no anointing, no presence or anything. And certainly we all need to go have a good cup of coffee every now and then. Amen. But that's not what this is talking about. What this is saying here, if you look deeper in the Greek, the word is sunago, and I'm not a Greek guy, so I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but I wrote it in here, and gathered together is sunago, and it means this, look it up, it means led together, or implies drawn by the Spirit together. So let me just paint a picture for you. I think that what Jesus is saying here is this, if your church will have powerful prayer meetings where people are led by the Spirit together, that the Holy Spirit draws them together. Is everybody getting this? You see, a lot of times churches, if they're going to pray, and unfortunately a lot don't, but if they're going to pray, they try to push on everybody, everybody to come. But how many knows that you don't want everybody there? And some people are just sitting around on their Facebook. Other people are doing something else or they're socializing. They're over there talking or something. They're nothing but a hindrance. Stay home. So here's what it's saying. Jesus is saying this. Listen, if your church will be a praying church and you'll let me by my Holy Spirit draw the right people together. These are people that are prayer warriors that know how to pray. They live a holy life. They're unified. And I draw them together. 
These are people that know how to worship and pray. So now my harmony, my sounds are coming together deep in the spirit. I'm using them in prayer and it forms like an incense up. He's saying those type of prayers are the ones that get answered. And if you'll join together and you begin to bind the enemy, whatever you bind will be bound. And whatever you ask me, I'll do it. And you're going to push back the attacks against the church that would try to divide you. But it's the prayers of God's people that are going to push back the darkness and drive out the enemy. And unfortunately, Paul had to deal with a situation with a guy. He wasn't, Paul wasn't there, but a guy in 1 Corinthians 5 had gotten in sexual sin. He was having sex outside of marriage. And so Paul told him, 1 Corinthians 5, listen, you know, obviously go to the person, all that. But he said, if they're not going to repent, read chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians when you gather together and the Lord is in your midst and I'm there with you in spirit, he said to kick the one out and give him over to the devil for the destruction of the flesh. So you see that there's New Testament story there of this being applied, the teaching of Jesus Christ. So there has to be things dealt with for it to remain the church God wants it to be. And this flies in the face of the modern seeker-sensitive movement, which is totally obsessed with just getting people's rear ends in the seat. Has nothing to do with their eternal soul. Has nothing to do with them being born again, repenting of their sin, dealing with things. It only has to do with numbers and money. And I love you, and I know some people get mad at that. And there, and I know that there's some sincerity out there in all that. I know that. And there's some heart to evangelize. I get that. But at the end of the day, if you're sitting around in a room trying to figure out what you're going to do to not offend people, there's something fundamentally wrong there because the gospel offends. And I remember, I'll give you another Steve Hill story. I think I told one last week. And he told me this. He said that there was a couple that had come to the church at that time that he was pastoring and I was part of. And they had come in and they were uh, a young couple. And during the service, the Holy Spirit was moving and they came down and got saved or whatever, but they had been going to a church before for, for a while, for like a year. And they were also living together and they weren't married. So they, there was sex outside of marriage. And when they came down and got saved at Heartland, they repented and they wanted to get things right with God. They wanted to repent of their sexual immorality. They, want, they got saved and repented. And they told Brother Steve, they said, we were going to this other church, I believe, they said about a year and were never even troubled about their lifestyle. It took one service with Steve Hill, one service for the Holy Spirit to blow in there and convict them. And here's what will happen. Either they'll repent and get saved or they'll leave ticked off. And that, that happened to a guy, uh, Jeremiah. Anyway, this guy was saying he was ministering Another true story. A couple comes down. They want prayer. He's praying for them. And then he stopped. And the Holy Spirit prompted him, said, are you guys living in sexual immorality? Are you, are you married? And he said, well, no. And he said, well, look, we can pray all we want. But until you're going to get things right between you and the Lord, God's not going to bless you. And they got mad and went out the back door, flipping him off. In church. <laughs> See ya. You remember in John 6, Jesus had all these people following him and he turns around and says unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood you'll have no part in me remember that 
and, and they all got mad and left. Did you, did you read in the story where Jesus said, oh, what have I done? And go chasing after them. Please, please forgive me for offending you. Please come back. Did anybody read that? I don't remember that. I remember Jesus looking at the other 12 and saying, are you, are you offended too? Let me just put it in modern terms. Are you ticked off at me too? Because you know what? They're leaving. Are you going to go? And they said, no, you have the words of life. But it says in the Bible, many forsook the Lord that day. Look, it's going to come down to this. There's going to be people that are either going to come down and repent and get real with God, or they're going to leave and get offended. But God doesn't change, and I love everybody. I just I feel this, but God, God loves you, but he's never going to play your little hypocrite game. You're either going to give him your life or you're not, and you're not fooling him. Amen? All right, so let me close with this. The battle is spiritual. We've got to have wor focused worship and prayer and let the Holy Spirit guide the service. But how do we pray effectively for the lost? Here's some things I've given them in other sermons, and I want to give this out today in this sermon series about the rise of Satanism because I have a feeling that people are going to see the title and some may listen to the sermon that normally may not listen to other sermons, okay? So this is how you can pray. How many of you have lost loved ones or people you're concerned about? Here's how you can pray for them effectively, scripturally. Number one, the Bible says no man can come unless the Father draw him. The Father draws by the Holy Spirit. So what you can pray is that God would begin to let his Holy Spirit brood over them and draw them unto salvation. So the Holy Spirit, here's how you pray. The Holy Spirit is brooding over their life. He's convicting them. He's granting them repentance. He's opening them up into salvation. He's drawing them unto the Lord. And this is not going to stop until they repent. They may not like it, right? You remember the story about that guy, Finley, I think, that went to Cane Ridge and he fled. And he said, I'm, I'm going to get out because the Holy Spirit was on him so strong. And he ran, he ran out of there, I believe, if I remember the story, all the way to Lexington. And he went to a bar and he said, I'm going to drink this off me. And the Holy Spirit never stopped pursuing him. He ends up with his friend and they're, they're like in horse and buggy or whatever. They're riding off and like the next day, they couldn't, they couldn't sleep it off. They couldn't drink it. And his friend looks at him and says, if we don't get right with God, the devil's going to get the both of us. <laughs> and he, sa he said it just broke. He told the story. It's, you know, it's kind of a famous story out of Cambridge. But he just broke and began to weep. But you know what's the, the underlying message there that a lot of people don't know? His dad was a preacher and was praying for him. That's why the Holy Spirit wouldn't stop messing with him. And stayed on him and not only saved him, saved somebody that was close next to him. <laughs> But also pray the Lord remove any crookedness out of their thinking. Because there's people that really, their, their thinking is all messed up. And the Lord needs to take all that crookedness out of their thinking. Also pray that the Lord dry up the pleasures of sin. And take away the numbness to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Man, some people, <clears throat> they need the Lord to really remove that. There's like a numbness to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can move all around them, touch everybody around them, and, you know, they're just... 
but pray that God remove that. Also, Ezekiel talks about this, their hearts of stone are turned to hearts of flesh. And then also their eyes and ears to be open because Jesus talked about this. He said they, Isaiah prophesied they have eyes, but they don't see, ears, but they don't hear. And so the eyes need to be open. I think about the church of Laodicea. You know, they said about themselves, we're rich and in need of nothing. And then Jesus says, now, wait a second. I see you as wretched, poor, poor naked, and blind. We don't see ourselves a lot of times the way the Lord sees. And so what it's saying here with their eyes and ears is that we need to be able to see the way the Lord sees and we need to be able to hear what he's saying. And finally, pray that God send his angels on assignment to drive back the darkness because the Bible says in Matthew 13, 39, the end of the age is the harvest and the harvesters are the angels. That's interesting. So the angels are going to be dispatched in these last days to help gather in the harvest. So pray that God send his angels to push back the darkness and help gather in the harvest that you're praying into. So again, the Holy Spirit brewed over. The Lord removed crookedness out of their thinking, dry up the pleasures of sin, remove the numbness to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Their hearts of stone be hearts of flesh. Their eyes and ears are open to see and hear, and angels are sent. I believe those seven prayers, if you'll earnestly pray them, in James it says in the King James, the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous, you know, makes, but I like the Amplified Classic. It says that the prayers of the righteous, but it's like a continual, persistent prayer, okay, but the prayers of the righteous make tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. Isn't that awesome? So if we really commit it to prayer, God's going to bring in a harvest, but it's prayer. And this is the last thing I want to say, and I want to pray together, is I was listening to the Seven Herd Club talk about this revival that's going on in Asbury. And we're still in February the 25th right now, for those that may hear this as a recording down the road. But they were saying about revival that broke out in Asbury, broke out in sometime this month, I don't remember the exact date, but it was just a few weeks ago. But it said this, they said about the Asbury revival that for a while, for a couple of years, people were really praying and contending for revival there. You see, these things don't just happen. Somebody prayed it in. And they were praying there and they were earnestly seeking the Lord. And when God showed up, because they've had such a history of different revivals, the two main ones I think that's got the most attention was 1970 and this current one. But they've had revivals and they've learned when the Lord shows up, they shut down the classes and they just let God do whatever he wants to do and they just want to facilitate it. And just to kind of do away with any rumors, they haven't shut down the revival at all. What they said was, they said that we're, we're not going to keep hosting it here. They're asking different churches to begin to pray in their churches and they're releasing it saying, let it break out in your churches. Get together and start praying. It's going to hit you. And it's breaking out on college campuses. So they're not being unfaithful with this revival. They're just trying to force it out where it's supposed to go. You know, it's interesting because God will do things like this. From what I understand, I haven't been, but Wilmore, Kentucky is a tiny place with like a couple thousand people. 
they probably I haven't been there. They probably have like one or two little hotels. And then they got thousands and thousands and thousands of people descending on them. So probably in the wisdom of the leadership there, they're like, they're going <laughs> to, they're going to wipe us out, man. There's not going to be food in the grocery store. There's going to be food in the restaurants. Every hotel is going to be overflowing. People will be sleeping in the streets. They're like, I'll tell you what, churches, open your doors. We're sending it your way. All right. Hey, Amen. We'll take it. But I honor that. I, their heart, I think, is in the right place. And God's entrusted them. You should look it up. God's entrusted them with several revivals because they honor it and then they release it out. And I, I believe God's in that. All right, so let's close with prayer tonight. Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for this word, getting this in us tonight. Let there be a deep work in all of us that your Holy Spirit brood over us and grant repentance. Draw us in a deep place unto you. Let the holiness of God, the fear of the Lord, the conviction of the Holy Spirit come. And here's what I want to do. You can go ahead and just kind of move to a screen. And I need the intercessors to help me. But I want us to spend some time in prayer. And here's what I'm asking with everybody not moving around yet. And even people that are still online, she may go to a screen or whatever. Let's spend some time soul searching. Is there anything in our lives that we need to repent of? This is the place to do it, isn't it? In God's house. So let's, let's go ahead and put on some music. And I want us just to seek the Lord. And the intercessors, I want you all to begin to pray. Just let the Holy Spirit pray through.